Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In preschool, the challenge for teachers is to take a complicated subject and make them simple. One example is learning about the bones, the anatomy of the human body, the skeleton, and how do we learn about them? What, what, what did we learn in preschool? Well, we learned that the foot bone's connected to the leg bone, and the leg bone's connected to the knee bone, and the knee bone's connected to the thigh bone. So let's do the skeleton dance. Right? There's some version of that. Now, I'm not exactly sure that that song is exactly precise in its name of the bones. I'm pretty sure it's not just called the leg bone or the knee bone. You probably aren't going to pass medical school with that simple knowledge. However, it is a good general teaching that Every bone in our body, whether it be our knee bone or our, our leg bone or our backbones, or, or, they're all connected, interrelated. They work together. And anyone who has ever thrown out their back and then had a hard time getting around, lifting things, knows exactly that the backbone is connected to every bone, right? This next four weeks, we will be in a sermon series called It's Complicated, the interrelatedness of relationships. And the, during these four weeks, we'll be going through 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. And we'll be looking at the way that our various relationships are connected to our other relationships. Relationships like our relationship with other people. Uh, the relationship between husbands and wives. The relationship between our body and spirits. The relationship between us as Christians and, and the body of Christ and the church and, and the Lord. And our main point throughout these next four weeks, my main point that I'm trying to get, get across is this. All our relationships are connected to each other. Our body's connected to our spirit. Our spirit's connected to the Lord. And that is what we'll be focusing on today. We'll be talking specifically about sexual immorality and, and God's design for sex and the way that we use our body and the way that it connects with our spirit, with other people, with the Lord. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. A little background, a little context here. Uh, first of all, we need to understand, we need to know about the city of Corinth. Corinth was a city in Greece. 
right? And it's a large city, one of the largest in the Roman Empire, I don't know, 100,000 people, give or take. Large city, big city, and with a big city comes big city issues, big city problems. And so much of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing a lot of these big city issues. In particular, the city of Corinth had 12 temples to other gods, the biggest one being the, the temple to Aphrodite. And there was sort of a normal practice regarding in relation to the temples for people in Corinth. Uh, they would go to the temples, and they would offer a sacrifice, a bull or, or whatnot, and then they would feast on that sacrifice, have, have a little barbecue dinner at the temple. And after dinner, they would engage in sexual intercourse with the temple prostitutes. That was the normal practice of that, uh, of that day. I recognize that as I'm saying this and preaching this, uh, my... 13-year-old daughter is, is right here, right? So um, it is what it is, right? So we're teaching these things, and it's important that we know about these things because this, in, this affects our relationships today and in the future. In the Corinthian church, they had been Christians for a little over a year at this point, maybe. New Christians, baby Christians. The Apostle Paul had gone there. He's gone there with Luke. He'd gone there with Timothy. He'd gone there and, and he taught them. And he taught them about the return of the Lord. And he taught them about uh, the, the doctrines of the Old Testament and the teachings of the Lord and the, the resurrection of Jesus and all of these things. And so now he has left and he's writing to them because he's heard some of the things that were going on in that church. Some of the things that they were struggling with, what they were trying to wrestle through as, uh, as Christians in Corinth. And they didn't get everything right. In fact, they got a lot of things Wrong, and Paul had to address those things. Now, as Christians in Corinth, they were trying to figure out, well, what do we do with this temple system? It's such a part of our culture. It's all over the place. Uh, he talks about food offered to idols and, and discusses that a little bit, but specifically in our text, he talks about sexual immorality. And Christians in Corinth at that time were struggling with, with what to do with all of this. And there are kind of two lines of thought on sexual immorality in that, in, in that church, amongst the Corinthian church. In chapter 7, verse 1, so just outside of our text for today. It says this, and Paul is quoting here, he's quoting the Corinthians. He says, 
You think it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And so there's this kind of one side of thinking, flee from sexual relations entirely. One of the things that the Apostle Paul taught was the urgency of the, uh, that we should be living in and, and the suddenness of the Lord's return, and they could return at any time. And so there was this teaching amongst the church. There's also the teaching that's found in our text for today. And, it's, and here's the quote. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy one and the other. So these are the two views that the Corinthian Christians had on sexuality. But what does food have to do with anything? Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food? Well, behind that understanding or or that belief, that, that teaching is this, that sex is just an appetite. It's just something that, it's like eating Eating a meal. And so it's not a big deal. Just do it. Whatever. It's not going to impact anything. And the greater teaching, the greater belief, kind of the philosophy uh, that was very apparent in that culture is this idea of Gnosticism. The the body is just really not important. What we do with our body, eh, well, the body is going to perish. What's the saying? And God will destroy both, one and the other. Food, body, eh, whatever. It doesn't matter. So those are the two teachings in that church. And Paul's saying, eh, they're both wrong. We need to have a little bit clearer understanding about sex and about intimacy. And so, what does Paul teach? He says this. Essentially, sex is a gift from God that is to occur in a God-ordained relationship, namely marriage. So, on the one hand, he doesn't say, uh, Husbands shouldn't have sex at all. Sex is dirty. It's a bad thing. We don't talk about it. And, in, and on the other side, he doesn't say, but it's not unimportant. It's actually a gift from God. And if that's the case, then we should use the gift as God intended for the gift to be used. And what does Paul do? He quotes from Genesis chapter 2. He quotes this. The two will become one flesh. That's Genesis 2, verse 24. That, the context there is that of the first wedding. You know the story. Adam goes to sleep. The Lord puts, gives him the first anesthesia, knocks him out, takes a part, portion from his side, Creates a woman. When Adam comes to, he looks down the aisle. He sees his wife Eve. And what does he start doing? Starts singing. (laughs) He starts rejoicing. Hubba hubba. 
That's the one, right? Uh, I couldn't, I was looking for someone to be a partner with. It wasn't a dog. That, was, that wouldn't work. Not an elephant. No, no. God has made woman. Ah, finally, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. And the Lord says that the two, when they get married, when God walks Eve down the aisle, the two become one flesh. The Apostle Paul talks about this and he says this is a profound mystery in Ephesians chapter 5. And what, what he shows us is that this mysterious union between husbands and wives is a picture of Jesus and his church. The mystery is profound, but we glorify the Lord in it. As Christians, we have also become members of Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Uh, Do you not know, in verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Members, limbs, right? Like we're part of his body. Not, Not like members of an organization, that you just signed up, who signed up for Peacock last night, became a member of Peacock, subscribed so that you could watch the Kansas City game and then are going to unsubscribe. It's not like that. No, this is like an actual body that the, the Apostle Paul is saying that we as Christians are members of the Lord's body. This, we can see this fleshed out a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11 when, the, when Paul talks about the Lord's Supper and that Jesus is in the bread and wine and that we take that supper with him. We see that theology come out a little bit. But where does this originate from? Many think from Paul's conversion. And I, believe, I think that's the right way of thinking too. Paul's conversion. Remember, Paul used to be a Christian killer. He used to hunt Christians. He was walking on a road, the Damascus Road, and he was going to two towns in the north, northern Israel. And what's his point? To, to find Christians and arrest them for being a Christian. And at that moment, the Apostle Paul has a vision, a vision of our Lord Jesus. And our Lord Jesus says, Saul, Saul, right? That's his name at the time. Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting the people who follow me? No. Why are you persecuting my church? No. Why are you persecuting good people? No. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When we've been united to the Lord through faith, through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, through the Word of God, it's as if we become members of Christ's body and Christ takes it seriously. He, he cares. When, when something happens to us, the believers, the followers of Jesus, it's as if it's happening to the Lord Jesus himself. So Paul teaches this 
theology that, that we have become members as Christians, members of the body of Jesus. And he goes on to say in verse 15, Shall I then take the members of Christ, that's you, that's me, should I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Ah, <laughs> uh, no. Never. If you're feeling a little weirded out, thinking about that too much, like, that's the point. It doesn't make sense for the body of Jesus to be joined together with the body of a prostitute. The word that's used here twice, joined, we're joined with the Lord, we, but we can also be joined with a prostitute. In this, in this uh, context, in this verse 16, that word in Greek can mean cemented. It's solid. It, Paul's point is, hey, when the two become one flesh, which is supposed to be in, in marriage, that can also happen outside of marriage. And, well, what's Paul's point? It's not just sex. There's so much more. That sort of intimacy between a husband and wife, it isn't just a bodily intimacy. It's, it's about a financial giving. It's about a relational giving, supporting to one another. It's, it's emotionally you do so, relationally. Your bodies, your, your, I'm sorry, your families become uh, one. And for us to act as if those sorts of things are in a silo. That what I do over here doesn't impact my relationships over there. That's just wrong. It's delusional. Paul twice in this passage talks about sexual immorality. The Greek word there is pornea, which you can hear pretty easily. That's where we get the word pornography from. It's a general, broad term. Uh, and what's Paul's, Paul saying? When, when one has sex with a prostitute, the one flesh thing still happens. It's not just sex. There's a cementing of that relationship. Should we join the body of Jesus with a prostitute? Never. Now today, we don't have temples per se throughout our community. But is sexual immorality still an issue? I would say so. <laughs> now, some would say, eh, it's just sex. Food for the stomach, right? Or, what's the saying today? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's not true. Others would say, oh, sex is dirty. It's a necessary evil. And we don't talk about such things in church. It could offend us. I would go on to say, to argue, we should talk about it here 
part of the reason that our world is so confused about sexuality is because the church has failed to teach on marriage and on divorce and on pornography and sexual morality in general. And here our world is confused, looking for joy and hope in all the wrong places. What do we see in our world today? Yeah. Pornography is rampant. I've shared this before, but you know, sometimes we, or we've maybe heard baseball is America's pastime, but the reality is if you look at the numbers on the, on the internet, it's not baseball, it's porn. We, we see divorce over and over throughout our world. We see premarital sex. We see dissatisfaction within marriages. We see um, adulterous relations. We see homosexual relations. And the list goes on and on. And it's complicated. This issue is complicated, and it needs to be discussed in this setting so that we can then not only know how we ought to live, but also know how to teach our kids. And it's important to teach this and to talk about this because the consequences are dire. In my previous congregation, I was... Uh, good friends with a, a gentleman. For the sake of this sermon, we'll say his name is Adam. And Adam, he had everything going for him. Adam was about my age, had a beautiful wife, beautiful family. They went to church almost every week. He loved his family. He worked hard. But Adam got caught up in some bad stuff. One day he came into my office full of tears, saying, confessing that he'd been caught. He had gotten into porn, and then one thing led to another, and then through uh, sliding into someone's DMs, as people say, through social media, uh, he, got, he got into a relationship with a woman who wasn't his wife, ended up acting out on that relationship, having sexual, uh, immoral relationship with this other woman. His wife finds out, and when he came and we talked in, in the office at that point, his wife had already begun to file for divorce. Everything in his life was being ruined by poor decisions, by the sec sexual immorality that he had. A few days later, as I've come to learn, Adam was at the bar, got drunk, trying to drown his sorrows. He disappeared that night. He was missing for a whole year. 
Finally, his body was found in the mountains. Whether it was an accident or suicide, it's a sad, tragic ending. It hurts his family. It hurts his church. It's a mess. And I know, on one hand, you can look at that, and that being an extreme example of what can happen when we dabble in sexual immorality. And on the other hand, we're not just dabbling with our earthly relationships. We're dabbling with our relationship with the Lord Jesus. (laughs) And at some point, and I don't know exactly where, but at some point when we keep sinning, we turn our back from the Lord, we walk away from the Lord, and we've broken our relationship with the Lord. The, uh, the consequences are dire and eternal at that point. It's not that Jesus has stopped loving you, but when you've turned to other places for hope, for, for peace, for, for satisfaction to be filled, when we turn away from the Lord, the consequences are dire. This is where it's so important for us as Christians to, and we know this, we know this already. If you don't know this, maybe you're hearing this for the first time, but know that Jesus came to save you from this pollution, from sexual immorality, to call you out of that. To, because he knows that's not what is best for you. That's not what's best for your relationships with other people. That's not what's best for his church. He came. He came fully and he came in body. He came fully in body incarnate to be with us. He came and he healed people in their body. He healed people like the woman at the well from their sexual immorality. He healed them by going to the cross so that his body could bear the wrath of our sins, the curse of our sins, so that it could be broken for us so that we could have forgiveness in his name. He was resurrected three days later in his body. He bodily sits now at the right hand of the Father in heaven and he will return bodily to be with us, to be with us and to, give, to, to uh, fully consummate our, our relationship w- with each other. We believe that the body is important, that what we do with the body is important because Jesus came and died and rose again in his body. So now, what do we as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, what do we do when it comes to sexual immorality? The word is really simple. Flee. Get out. Run. Don't walk. 
If you have sexual immorality in your life, if, you're, uh, if you are addicted to pornography, if you, you need to do what it takes, not gradually, not rationally. You need to be drastic and just get away. Whether that means put filters on your devices, whether that means get an, an accountability partner to help you through these times, whether that is coming to your pastor to confess your sins and receive the 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 words of gospel of life of salvation that we have in Jesus, uh, we need to do everything we can to get if if it, if it's relationships and getting out of a. a unbiblical, un-God-pleasing um, relationship, we need to do that and cut it off. If you're having an affair, stop it. Don't go to Vegas if that's what it takes. <laughs> we need to flee. And then as Christians, we also, the other side of the coin is honor God with our bodies. We can do that through marriage. We can do that through celibacy. And I'll talk more about that next week. Until then, may the Lord send us his Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to help us flee from passions and sexual immorality, to turn to him for his love and forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.